You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. He gave himself into their hands, you see. Peter took out the sword and tried to swipe the guy's head off, and he only got the ear. And Jesus said, put the sword away. I could appeal to the Father at any time, and he would send legions of angels. He laid down his life willingly. He cooperated with the plan of God. There's a whole sermon in that, by the way. God has you going through something difficult. Are you ready by faith to cooperate with the plan of God? Or are you going to run from the will of God like Jonah ran to Tarshish? When Peter spoke to the Jews at Pentecost and convinced them that Jesus is the Christ, he then showed them how the crucifixion of Jesus was a part of God's plan for the Messiah since the beginning. Jesus cooperated with God's plan and laid down his life willingly. In today's message, Pastor Tom is going to dive into God's plan of salvation, but he's also going to ask you this question. Are you willing to submit yourself to God's plan for your life, even when it gets uncomfortable? Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of Matthew chapter 12 as he continues his message, Logic on Fire, the church's first sermon. Jesus stepped forward and said, so if Satan casts out Satan, how's he going to keep his kingdom? How ludicrous is that? Satan's casting out Satan. No, they all knew that Jesus did genuine miracles. All of them knew that. After raising Lazarus from the dead, do you know what the unbelieving Jews said in John 11? Some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done, raising a man from the dead. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the council. There it is. And were saying, what are we doing? (laughs) For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. You see what their concern was? What a selfish concern, no matter of, uh, no matter of evidence, will be sufficient for any unbeliever. This is why they rejected Jesus. The signs were real. They weren't tricks. Tricks don't lead anyone to God. If someone gets led to God because of a trick, once they find out the trick, the whole gig is over, right? And you're like, forget it. I'm not following this guy anymore. No, these were miracles. These were to lead them to God. They were signs. But what they did is they exposed the evil of that generation more. Jesus once pleaded with the Jews in John 10, if I do not do the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. It's if you're looking at me and you say, ah, what good comes out of Nazareth? What could this guy looks around 30 years of age? He doesn't look any different than anybody else. I can't believe in him. Jesus said, okay, if you're having trouble with that, I'll be patient with you. Look at the miracles. And they did. They said, ah, he does it by Satan. What blindness, what hardness of heart. So they were guilty. In fact, Jesus made this point in John 15, verses 24 and 25. He said to the disciples, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, Notice he knew, right? They would not have guilt. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this in order that the word may be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. There is no rational basis for rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. And that is the truth that Peter is driving home in this most impressive sermon. Look how Peter indicts them for this hatred without a cause at the end of verse 22. Just as you yourselves know. I wish I had heard how he said that exactly. I wonder how his eyes looked at when he looked at them. Just as you yourselves know. 
You saw him feed the 5,000 with almost nothing. You heard him casting out demons. You saw him giving sight back to the blind. You heard how he stopped the windstorm with a word. Why didn't you repent? Why didn't you get it? Nicodemus, a Pharisee, on the ruling council of the Jews, one of the the big 70, even conceded this in John 3, 2. He came to him by night, remember? Remember what he said? Teacher, we know that you have come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Bingo. Nicodemus, that's the whole point. The man born blind in John 9 was smarter than all of his teachers. He knew how to put two plus two together and not let anyone else say that equals five. He said, no, 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 it equals four. What do I mean? He told the Jewish authorities, here is an amazing thing that you do not know where Jesus is from, and yet he opened my eyes. I love that guy. Sometimes you need to stick with your common sense and your logic and not listen to everybody in academia. Because if if they're forcing themselves to not believe something because they don't want to, they're not academic. And I don't care how many credentials they have behind their name. If education leads you to deny the obvious, your education isn't worth much. Jesus, the Nazarene, was a man attested to you by God. Just as you yourselves know. And what did you do to him? What did you do to him? And this is where Peter's preaching is going to begin to hurt a little. And that's the second stage here, and that's the death of Jesus. Look at verse 23. Look at verse 23. This man, still talking about Jesus, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross. And even worse, by the hands of godless men and put him to death. See, Peter's kind of like a a lawyer in a courtroom and he's building a case against the Jews. He's building an indictment. By the way, beloved, sometimes sermons are meant to hurt. Sometimes they're supposed to make people feel guilty because there is guilt before God. And these Jews were guilty. We're not always supposed to accentuate the positive. Sometimes we're supposed to point out where we err. First, Peter said, I'm going to prove to you Jesus' Messiahship. Remember all of the supernatural wonders that he did. A public life of miracle working. Clearly a man sent from God. But this was the question the Jews had. Okay, okay, I saw the miracles and everything, but wait a minute. You're saying he's the Messiah. You're saying he's the son of David. You're saying he's the king who's going to rule. How come he died on a cross? That's where they were. They could not come across the finish line to put their faith in Christ because they stumbled on the stumbling block of the cross. A king, the son of David, not triumphant. David won his wars. Solomon reigned over a great kingdom. The son of David should be triumphant. Jesus was crucified on a cross like a common criminal outside the walls of Jerusalem. And that's kind of where it ended. How could he be the Messiah? Peter knows that is an objection by the Jews. He knows. He's probably even heard it. 
This is exactly the objection that the Jewish leaders hurled at Jesus when he hung on the cross in Luke 23, 35. What did they say to him as he hung up there? He saved others. Let him come down from the cross so that we can believe in him now. Can he save himself? And then when he didn't and he died and he breathed his last, they were like, forget it. So if Jesus was the chosen one of God, why did he die? Well, Peter provides the answer. Jesus was delivered up to die. Jesus went to the cross, listen, due to a predetermined plan of God. Predetermined. In Greek, that means to mark out the boundaries ahead of time. So it means to determine something in advance. Before it happens, it's determined. It's marked out. It's, it's predestined. It was God's predetermined plan to have Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, killed. That is why he was delivered up to be crucified. Jesus was not a loser. Jesus made it clear in John 10, 18, long before his death, he said, no one is able to take my life away from me. I lay it down willingly. When they came to arrest him, remember in John, he says he spoke and the whole crowd fell backwards. And then they got up and he said, whom do you seek? And he gave himself into their hands, you see. Peter took out the sword and tried to swipe the guy's head off. And he only got the ear. And Jesus said, put the sword away. I could appeal to the father at any time and he would send legions of angels. He laid down his life willingly. He cooperated with the plan of God. There's a whole sermon in that, by the way. God has you going through something difficult. Are you ready by faith to cooperate with the plan of God? Or are you going to run from the will of God like Jonah ran to Tarshish? The elders of the Jews are the ones who delivered Jesus up to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, who was the one that had the authority to kill somebody because they didn't have that authority. And it may have been Pilate that washed his hands and then delivered Jesus over to be crucified. But Peter, driven by the power of the Holy Spirit, understanding what really happened, he said, I'll tell you the main reason the Messiah died. I'll tell you the main reason that he was slaughtered. It's God predetermined it had to happen. What does that mean? That means the death of Messiah did not thwart God's plan. Rather, the death of Messiah fulfilled it. There was a plan put in place by God long ago, long ago. The book of Revelation tells us that the names of believers like you and me, believers in Jesus, were all written in a book called the Lamb's Book of Life. And it was written there before the world was even created, much less us being born. Now, how could that happen unless the Lamb was slain in God's mind before the world even began? It's part of God's plan. Only possible if the Messiah was predetermined to enter down into a dark and a fallen and a doomed world and to save that world by laying down his life. And when he laid down his life, why did God want that to happen? And the answer is because God wanted to display his love. His love. God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ, what? Died for us. Special kind of love. Never seen it before. Never heard of that kind of a love. God wanted to show it. He sent his son to die in our place. Why? Because he loved us. You might be saying, I don't know that God loves me. Well, then you don't understand the gospel very well. Yeah, but I've had hard times in my life. Yes, but Jesus Christ shed his blood for you. Close your mouth. 
Open your heart. Quit making objections. God doesn't love me. He's forgotten me. I've done that, by the way. It doesn't work. God's love is so great. He loves you. He knows your circumstances. He knows everything about you. He had you in his mind and his heart when Christ went to Calvary and died for you. He already he already's like that. You've got to believe that. You've got to understand that and believe that. God wanted to demonstrate his love for you. We must never doubt his love. We have no right to doubt God's love. The whole creation, in one sense, anticipated and predicted the fall of man and the sin and the rescue of man by the Lamb of God to take away our sins. Isn't that what John the Baptist said? Behold, the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sin of the world. Listen, there was no surprise with God when Jesus was killed. God had a salvation plan. And God embedded that plan in written history. In the Old Testament prophets, he told us what was going to happen and why. It was all there. By the way, when God has prophecy given, that has to be fulfilled. There's not a 99% chance that the prophecy will be fulfilled. There's a 100% chance that it's going to be fulfilled. It can't not be done because God is omnipotent and his word comes from him. And when he says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. It's amazing, isn't it, really? Prophecy is amazing. This book here tells us how the world will become. And if we live long enough, (laughs) everything in the world in the news will conform to what it says, to the literal interpretation of prophecy. This is what Jesus was going to do because this is what God said had to happen. It was predetermined and foretold the death of Christ. There's no power in the universe that can stop what the Bible says from coming about. And how did God carry out? the death of Jesus. You nailed him to the cross by the hands of godless men. That's one of the saddest statements in all the Bible. The long-awaited Messiah. One day Messiah is going to come. Oh, we're still waiting for the Messiah to come. You'll see one day Messiah will come. And he was born in Bethlehem. And he healed their diseases. And they handed him over to godless, idol-worshipping, immoral, blasphemous men and said, kill him. Godless men is a reference to the Romans. They executed Jesus, but the Jews told them to do it. You turned God's Messiah over to lawless, godless men. They mocked him. They spat on him. They put a crown of thorns on him and had a good laugh. They scourged his back. They nailed him naked to a tree. That's what you did with him. Now, when you get to the end of the sermon, you'll see the Jews are going to say, what must we do? (laughs) You want to know why they're reacting like that? It's because of the indictment Peter is giving here. How how do you sugarcoat something like this? This was not a seeker-friendly sermon. I mean, if you wanted to offend people and drive them away from the church in your first sermon, this would be pretty good, right? You murdered the Messiah. How many converts are you going to get out of that? You know, Pastor, we need to kind of relate to the people in our society now a little bit better, you know? Because if we relate to them, we can be like those churches where they just... Everything's happy and wonderful in church, and they got all this great stuff, and it's entertaining, and people feel good, and they want to come back the next week. I'm glad you're here. That's obviously not the reason you're you're not being entertained right now. So 
God has a predetermined plan to kill the Messiah, but Peter blames the Jews for killing him. You know, this, the seed of the entire debate between the free will of man and the sovereignty of God is right there in verse 23. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Are humans responsible? Yes. Is God sovereign over the decisions of human beings? Yes. Yeah, but I don't think those two things can go together. Well, they do. Well, I don't think that they can. It doesn't fit in my mind. Too bad. Well, okay, Pastor, you're so smart. You tell us how those two things go together. I can't. Well, then it's not true. Yes, it is true. Well, you just lost your mind. No, no, I'm just following God's mind. And, and there's no elaboration given here. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Peter. You just said it was a predetermined plan of God. Then you said the Jews were guilty. Yes. Well, are you going to explain that to us? No. How do you expect us to believe it? Because it's true. No philosophical explanation. How could man be guilty of nailing Christ to the cross when God predetermined it was necessary? And, and, well, some will point to the word foreknowledge in verse 23 and say, well, God's predetermining was nothing more than him looking into the future and seeing what the Jews were going to do to his son. And then he made his plans after he looked to see what the Jews were going to do to his son. God simply looked into the future. That's what they think his foreknowledge means. And they saw what men would do. And then God made a plan out of all of it. Even if foreknowledge meant nothing more than God looking into the future to figure out what men are going to do, which it doesn't, doesn't mean that. It still wouldn't solve the tension because if God could look into the future and see what people are going to do and he saw them do it, can they not not do it when it happens? How about that for a brain teaser? If God sees it happening, can it not not happen? How could God know something is going to happen and men still have a choice? Doesn't God's foreseeing things fix them? Everything God foresees must happen and therefore it's predetermined. Foreknowledge leads to predestination, but the word foreknowledge does not mean foreseeing. Prognosis is actually the term in Greek. It means much more than looking into the future and seeing things. It means that someone is known, something or someone is known in advance, known in the selective sense, in the relational sense. Believers in Jesus are specifically said to be foreknown in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2 and in Romans 8 and verse 29. If believers are foreknown, that would mean nothing if, if all it meant is God knew about them ahead of time because everybody's foreknown in that sense, right? God knows about everybody, believer or unbeliever. No, being foreknown means drawn into a relationship with God, known in the relational sense. Believers are foreknown. They're selected by God in advance in the same way Jesus was foreknown and his death was foreknown. Jesus was delivered up, notice, by the foreknowledge of God. There's an instrumental sense there. It shows the foreknowledge of God actually carried out the delivering up of Christ. That only makes sense if foreknowledge is another way of speaking about the plan of God, about the way it's designed. God made sure the death of Jesus happened. Who killed Jesus? Peter says the Romans did. But they only did that because the hateful Jews cried out, crucify, crucify. And the Jews acted according to the sovereign predetermined plan of God, according to his foreknowledge. So where does the guilt lie? Well, it never lies with God. No, Peter charges, you nailed him to the cross. The Jews were guilty. 
They are the ones who had Christ attested to him. You put him to death. Why would God do such a horrific thing to predestine that his chosen people would kill his chosen son? Why did God make sure the Jews cried out, crucify him, crucify him? Because there is no way that Pontius Pilate would have crucified Jesus if they had not persisted and persisted and persisted to have him face the death penalty. Why make sure it was the Roman soldiers who took him and had him die in the most miserable kind of way? Crucifixion. There's a lot of ways to die. That's the worst. Nailed to suffer publicly, to writhe in pain in front of everybody with no relief. Sometimes people would die there slowly over days. Christ hung for six hours. And then they thrust a spear in his side to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is dead. Why? 700 years before Christ was born, the answer was given. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. and By his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. That's why. That's why he insisted it. He insists this happened. He demanded this happen. Christ said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And God said, it's not possible. It's not possible. So that you and I could populate his kingdom. So that you and I could be freed of our guilt. So that every last one of our immoral and indecent and blasphemous and ungrateful sins that we have, every last one of them could be paid for. Isn't that wonderful? That's why it had to happen. That's why it was predetermined. And so that we would be thankful and grateful, eternally grateful. And we would be the kind of people that live before God with no excuses. There's no excuses. When people don't love me, I know God loves me. I'm going to live for him. Things don't go well in life. Doesn't matter. I've got heaven to look forward to in the kingdom of God. No excuses. There's no excuses. Christ laid down his life for me. That's all I need to know. That's all I need to know. To live for him. To live sacrificially for him. I don't need any other motivation. That's it. And he wanted millions before him in gratitude, singing to his name, glorifying him, offering their life as service. He took the wrath of God upon himself. He delivered us from slavery to sin. He took away the torrents of hell. He gave us sonship and inheritance because of the reconciliation, the redemption, the propitiation in his blood as it says in Romans 3, through faith. You believe in Christ's death. You have incredible status. And that's why God determined he must go to the cross. Father, as we come to the table of your son now, help us to have a renewed appreciation of the love that you have for us and the status we have in Christ because 
He has done the unthinkable for us. He has rescued us in the only way possible, giving his life, a righteous life for ours, a sinful life. Please help anyone in here that's trusting in their own goodness to run away from that and to trust only in Jesus Christ. So is God in control or are people responsible for their own actions? Turns out the answer is a resounding yes. Both things are true. Today, Pastor Tom dove into the mystery of how God operates in the world. And 2,000 years ago, Peter showed the people that the death of Jesus on the cross was both a part of God's plan and the responsibility of the people standing there. God's in charge, and people are responsible. Discover Hope is a listener-supported ministry, and we'd like to offer you the opportunity to be a part of sharing the gospel message. Would you join us in praying for our listeners? Pray that the love and grace of Jesus will be evident in each new broadcast, and that many would come to know the hope of salvation. Thanks for praying. If you feel led to contribute financially to this ministry as well, you can do so by visiting hopebible.org and clicking the Giving tab at the top of the page. We appreciate every amount given and use it to continue producing the messages of Pastor Tom Leak that you hear on Discover Hope. There is no doubt that you and I live in a society of lies, and the biggest lie out there is that God doesn't exist. You and I are on this earth to share the truth about the unchanging God. Since God doesn't change, the message shouldn't change either. Next time, Pastor Tom will show us that the resurrection is the key to Peter's message all those years ago. And it remains the key that you and I need to share today. To listen again to today's message in the book of Acts, visit HopeBibleChurch.org and look under the Sermons tab. Pastor Tom will return soon with another in-depth study of God's Word. So join us again right here on Discover Hope.